0: This is another Bottle Down on Co-op Radio, KOOP, Hornsby, Austin, 91.7 FM, and KOOP.org. I'm your host, Mark Rayshap, here to appreciate wines from all over the world, and to talk with Austin's leading wine professionals, from winemaker to sommelier and everyone in between. Now it's time to put another bottle down. Good afternoon, Austin. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is Co-op Radio, radio for people and not for profit. We've got a really fun show in store for you. We have Barbie Shouse and Jackie Grinelli, who are both uh, on the leadership of the Women for Wine Sense organization, and they are doing some really fun stuff here in Austin. I'm very excited to give them a, a little bit of a voice to uh, to tell all the, what they've going on. Uh, and then we're going to use this time to focus on a really hot topic in the world of wine, and that's rosé. Dry rosé, rosé with a little bit of sweetness, some bubbly rosé, all kinds of fun stuff stuff so stay tuned and uh go on to the co-op website koop.org to see all the fun stuff that we have going on Okay, thank you so much for tuning in, folks. It's a, it's kind of a gloomy afternoon, and uh, but we're gonna have some fun talking about wine and a lot of the the cool things that uh, a very special organization in Austin has going on. Uh, I'm here with Barbie Shaws and Jackie Grinelli, uh, and they are on the leadership. Of a very wonderful organization called Women for Wine Sense, so we're going to be talking with them about what they have going on. Hey, Barbie and, and Jackie, thank you so much for coming into the studio.
1: Really happy to be here. Thanks, Mark. Yeah. Yes, Mark. Thank you very much. We appreciate the opportunity. Well, you
0: all are are really ingrained in uh, the wine industry, and I want to first start off by talking about the um, w- what what Women for Wine Sense is. And uh, maybe Jackie, Jackie, you're the president of the of the organization right now, right? And sure, of the
2: Austin chapter. Of the yes.
0: Austin chapter. So, so why don't you give us a, a little bit of a background, uh, while I uh, get Lasan's mic uh, all all kind of geared up? So, give us a little bit of background of the organization as a whole, um, and then we'll get into what you're doing here in Austin.
2: Sure, um, Women for Wine Sense. Uh, has actually been around for almost 26 years now. It was founded in 1991 by two uh, very powerful women in the Napa Valley area. Um, One of them was Julie Williams, now Julie Johnson, um, who was at uh, one of the owners of Frog's Leap Winery, and also Michaela Rodeno, who was the CEO at the time of St. Supri. And they were the two uh, founders of this organization that they intended at the time to kind of educate people about how wine is actually part of a, a healthy, fun lifestyle, um, and not uh, not just an intoxicant essentially
0: right and and so that that was a hot topic at the time right
2: right so in the late 80s early 90s when this organization was founded um there was a lot of kind of a movement in the united states to talk about wine as as one of the drugs you know that children should be
0: wary of right and and so um and so, so then it started in the 90s and, um, and, and had that as a mission. And, and so uh, uh, since then, the mission has changed a little bit, or does it still keep that, that concept intact?
2: Sure. So it, it has continued to be um, led and uh, largely organized by women, Um, The the way it started in the first place, but it has kind of um, turned to more of a networking and an educational organization, which it is across the United States today, um, with over 10 chapters uh, in operation at the moment.
0: Very cool. So, so tell us a little bit about those those chapters, and um, you know, we can kind of get start to get into how um, it it kind of uh, got into the the Austin scene as well. So, so we, we started in in Napa in California, and, and, and now, mm-hmm. how has the, the, the growth uh, gone gone down?
2: Right. Well, it's it started in Napa and Sonoma, and there's still a very strong Napa and Sonoma chapter. Um, but it's spread to um, all corners of the country at this point, in Florida, in New York State, um, and here in Texas. We have chapters in Dallas, the Hill Country, and now in Austin. And all of those kind of started as a result of um, connections that um, that women in the wine industry
0: had. Right. So, so really, we, you know, you're, we're connecting with the community and, um, and networking. And is that really where you see the organization going? Um, uh, and, and maybe we can talk about also where, you know how did how did Austin kind of there's a story behind how Austin kind of got uh, inspired to do this right and oh, and I also want to welcome LaSan Georgeson to the studio is that, did I get your name all right you did thanks Mark you all did. right excellent so um and uh and well tell us about we, we've got three wonderful wine professionals um uh very knowledgeable women in the wine industry here we're we're talking about this Women for Wine sense. Um, Tell us how the Austin chapter got started. Barbie, you want to?
1: Well, I can talk about that. The national president is Carla Barber, who lives in Dallas. And she's been encouraging me for several years to start an Austin chapter. And it just all coalesced in January of this year, where I had the time and the energy, and she became the national president. So she had a more global reaching. Um,
0: so her history is she started off in leadership in Dallas, and then and she da-
1: started the Dallas chapter. Wow! Yeah. And then she's been very involved with it. In fact, um, that's she's met so many wine professionals and people who love wine all across the United States from this particular organization. Right. And so she's got all these different friends that have ended up encouraging her professional career right. in, in the wine industry just because of this organization. And even though it's called Women for Wine Sense, it is not solely for women. Right. As you know you've attended one of our uh, I, I did. events. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we love that you were there. And our events are, you know, designed to be Had educational and entertaining. Right. And they will switch from being different styles.
0: Yeah, I mean, that, that's something very interesting, and I'm, and I'm really into that whole concept of networking and educational, because I often find that uh, educational events sometimes are not always educational in Austin, and there's there's a, a, a sales motivation behind mm-hmm. uh, something. I mean, there if, if there's a tasting around town, um, there, there, there might be this motivation where it's not purely for educational purposes, but, um, and so you're trying to really eliminate that and to and to say hey we're all about community we're all about learning together and having fun right
1: most definitely we do not want it to be about sales whatsoever this is all about the wine and the enjoyment of wine and the different aspects of how you can enjoy wine and the networking that comes about because of that
0: Right, right, right 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 So, LaSalle, how did you get involved in this? Were you kind of um, brought in uh, with all the other folks, or, or what's, your, what's your place well, in place? Well, slightly
3: a little different. I met Carla when I was at the Napa 25th anniversary, Women for Wine Sense, and it was fantastic. It truly was fantastic. Talk about a sisterhood, and certainly men were there, right. but it was a strong, powerful sisterhood, and I thought, oh my gosh, I can't wait to get this in Austin. So she mentioned that she thought of doing it because I belonged to the Hill country chapter,
4: because okay. that's
3: the only thing that was accessible for me when I moved here. So Carla was a huge part of me being interested in the Austin chapter when I found out that she was trying to a awesome. it. Awesome.
0: So do you, do you work with the other chapters, you know, the Dallas chapter and the Hill Country chapter? So um, I know we have some listeners out, out in the Hill Country too, who listen to uh, either uh, streaming uh, online or, or the blog uh, and the podcast. Right. Uh, do, do you coordinate with them at all?
2: Uh, yeah, there is some crossover. Um, there are some people who have been members or continue to be members of more than, more than one chapter if they're close enough to do so. And, um, and we're hoping to have, um, some crossover events as well. Now that we have so many people in Texas interested. Um, also I should mention that next year, um, is, uh, the semi-annual, is it semi-annual, um, grand event uh, that Women for Wine Sense is doing in the Finger Lakes in
0: New York. Oh, very cool. So, so it's an opportunity to travel as well. And that, and that yeah. is where, the, where all chapters come together, and, and you have that, that beautiful wine region of the Finger Lakes wines. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a great backdrop. Uh, let's talk about, so you've done one event so far. Do you want to uh, talk to, uh, explain kind of what was going on and give us a little feel for, for what that was about?
1: This particular event ended up being 90% education because we had the fabulous Dr. Kareth Overstreet here from Brulium Wines, and right. she her background is a medical doctor, and so she definitely approaches winemaking from a very scientific approach. Right. And so she had all these beautiful slides and discussions, and it was... it. it was extremely geeky, if you don't mind me using <laughs> yeah. that term when we talk about wine. We at geek the same, out a little bit here, too, you know. <laughs> at, at the same time, it... it There were so many parts of it that were very eye-opening, and we got to, of course, try her beautiful wines. But that was our very first event. That was in March, the beginning of March. Right. And um, we we put it together rather quickly because she was going to be in Austin. And so we're like, let's take advantage of this woman who has so much energy and beautiful background with wine. Right. um, We were very pleased with the turnout and the content. Right. And the, we, you know, the first part of it was welcome here, have a glass of rosé, which we'll talk about right, rosé yeah. more later. Sure. Um, and then, you know, we had this beautiful content and then question and answer afterward.
0: Yeah, it was, it, it was fun. It was a little geeky, yeah, but, but, you know, I, I think that, that um, everybody can take what they want from the world of wine. You know, if people have this desire to really get into the science, then that's, that's great. But, but there was certainly a lot of people meeting each other and mingling going on. Uh, which I thought was just excellent to meet folks who weren't necessarily in the industry just uh, just wine lovers right?
1: Yes, this is not an industry right. only we organization. Want to make sure. this is for this is for people in the industry. this is people who are just enthusiasts anyone who loves wine or is interested in wine you don't even have to know about wine you want to come learn
0: right 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 okay so so that was the first event and what's you have an upcoming event that has been uh, the date has been set right yes um, yeah. june 20th is june our 20th. next
2: event our second event And that's going to be a women in wine panel in which we're going to bring together some professional women in different um, parts of the wine industry. And they're going to talk about their personal experiences um, in this industry, how they got into it, et cetera. And um, and I'm going to be lucky enough to moderate that.
0: Okay, great. Who's who? So who is going to be speaking on the panel? Has has that been announced yet or can we can we announce it here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: we're, we're going to have several uh, distinguished panelists, um, including Ray Wilson, right. who is uh, a maker of rosé and a winemaker and... Uh, educational consultant here in Austin, as well as Mandy Nelson, who is a beverage director for the New Waterloo Group, and
0: ah, and she comes from Mandy comes from a uh, distributor background. She worked for a while uh, for various distributors. Um, That's right. Yeah. And
2: Penny Adams from uh, Wedding Oak Winery will and, be and here. And Penny
0: well. Adams is one of the one of the. the I think she's one the of fir, your yeah, She's one of my previous guests. She's has a wonderful insight in and, and very down to earth uh, demeanor about about. about uh about wine and and she's all about agriculture and linking uh linking wine to to the earth and she comes uh it at it with a terrific perspective i'm really looking forward to that um okay so we we should say if there's more information where where can folks find more information sure about that
2: yeah, check out our Facebook page facebook.com slash Austin women wine sense all one word
0: okay great and and there's also a um, I think that there's a, a website for the the greater uh, women for wine sense uh, organization although right. um, do you have that handy
2: yep uh, that's gonna be www org.
0: Okay. Cool. Easy to remember. Yeah. 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 And so, and we'll probably see. I don't think the event has yet been posted on that webpage. Oh, it, it has. has. No, okay. No. All right. Great. So we're in business. <laughs> well, um, anything else we want to talk about? Um, you know, I, I think that I think it's a wonderful thing that we have networking. We have events. I mean, is this the direction that we're going? Um, is is you know, and and um, you know, what what what's the the philosophy moving forward?
2: Yeah, we're we're thinking um, any opportunity for. People who love wine and people who work with wine to uh, get together in a, as you were saying, in a non-sales context, right, in right. which there are there are no stakes as far as um, we're trying to make customers, we're trying to right. trying to make our monthly sales numbers. Instead, we're we're trying to we're trying to learn as much as we can and just be. Lifelong learners and appreciators.
0: Right, right, right. Cool. Well, and um, well. Let's let's uh, take a short break. This was wonderful. Um, we can uh, again that the the website uh, and uh, the Facebook page, facebook.com/slash. Austin, austin women
2: wine sense austin
0: women wine sense all right wonderful we're going to take a short break and then we're going to come back and uh and talk about rosé and uh making rosé and all of the fun parts about enjoying rosé in austin uh, in the summertime uh even though it's a little bit rainy today but uh you know we'll uh, we'll make it happen okay thank you so much for tuning in and and uh, and sticking with us uh, on this really fun, gloomy afternoon, but uh, we've got a wonderful group of guests in the house in the studio. We're broadcasting live. Uh, this is Co-op Radio K O O P Hornsby Austin 91.7, uh, and it's radio for people and not for profit. And and we always really like to highlight cool community uh, organizations and folks who have a really unique perspective in the world of wine. So I hope you really enjoy. Enjoy the programming. Um, we just spent uh, about 15, ooh, 15 to 20 minutes talking about Women for Wine Sense, which is a organization that um, is all about education, bringing people together. Um, it it was started out in 91, and uh, and it has grown, and it's not exclusive to women. We want to make sure about that, and we also want to make sure, Barbie and I were talking at the break, and uh, we want to make sure that uh, everybody knows that it's a down-to-earth and fun environment. Do you, you want to just wrap yeah, us it's, up there?
1: It's about entertainment and education. It's all about wine. It is... Just come and learn, come and enjoy, come and meet and network. Like LaSanne was saying earlier, it's a great opportunity to meet other people who who love wine.
0: Wonderful. Wonderful. and and it will probably be uh, taking place uh, the meetings would take place in different venues around around Austin mm-hmm. so different one every yeah, time yeah excellent yeah. all right well well great i wanted to, before we get into rosé i wanted to uh since i have you know you here in the studio I, I did want to talk about um the 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 role of gender in the wine industry and i know it's a little bit of a hot topic um but um because i i see it i i used to work uh, retail and i used to see some of my female colleagues uh, uh, maybe not get the respect um, that that uh, that customers or the public would would lend to you know to the to the male uh, associates there. Um, do you you know do you guys feel that in the industry has it uh, has it been changing? I mean, Barbie, you, you've been in the industry for a while, right?
1: Ten and a half years. Yeah. Um, I have to say, I think I'm kind of blind to it. Okay. I don't notice it. On occasions, I will run into somebody who will react a certain way, and I'll try to, in my mind, understand why when I was being objective and they were not. And occasionally, I'll get all the way to the end of it and think, well, maybe that was gender. But I don't feel... any gender bias in the work that I do okay. with wines.
0: Right, right, right. And and you have, um, and I think maybe Austin might be even a better place um, for Definitely. that. I, I mean, uh, does anybody have any more, you know? I uh, think I might have a challenge uh, for you, okay, honestly. Right, yeah.
3: And I'm not from Austin. I'm from right. Washington originally. However, I do sense a lot of, um, not a lot. Clearly there's some challenges with females in the industry. I'm as a wine educator, some, right. Yeah. And I face it all the time. I I produce events. And so I often have the male talking to me in a way that's challenging. Like, well, what do you really know? I'm like, well, let's talk about that. Right. So I'll bring on the challenge where I find my colleagues that are males don't have that challenge. Right. But because I love challenges, I'm all up for it. Sure. It doesn't harm me any, but there clearly is. Gender concerns, in my opinion.
0: Now, do you do you, you do events um all over hill all country? Over. All, all, all I over. I do. Do you notice it? um Maybe a little bit more challenging in certain areas. Or, or that's a great
3: question. I'd probably say more in the hill country. I think honestly because there's so many wineries and there's so right. many members, particularly like Horseshoe Bay Resort. They have a huge membership, right? And they know their wines, right? But I don't think they're educated to know their wines. They know their wines as a consumer. And so when you bring in the education piece, there's that challenge where it's like, no way. I'm like, way. (laughs) So yeah, I think more up in the hill country, more so than Austin
0: proper. Yeah, yeah. And and Jackie, you know, you you have an interesting piece as far as um, you know. You made a change when you had your daughter, um, mm-hmm. and, and was the wine industry kind of kind to you in in that role, or or, or was that a very difficult piece um, to add into your professional life? I mean, it is in no matter what what uh, uh, sector of industry you're in.
2: Uh, I think it's definitely one of the challenges for women in this industry, in the beverage industry in general, um, to think about how life is going to change after having a family. Um, the schedule is very difficult for a lot of families. Um, because for, for example, some's working in a restaurant. Those are some tough hours for having kids and, um, they may not have some of the benefits that people in say an office job might have. Like Vacation time off, sick leave, that sort of thing. Right,
0: and often there's events in the evening. So even though if you're if you're a distributor that works mostly during the day, you're you're under pressure to uh, participate in events and maybe do a little schmoozing uh, <laughs> with your customers <laughs> after, after hours. Yeah, so that that you find incredibly difficult and to to, to maneuver that.
2: Well, I I don't know any um, male colleagues who started families and then um, had to quite so often convince their employers and potential employers that they still actually wanted to work. Right. Right. Um, whereas, you know, I, I may have encountered that once or twice in the past. Right. Um, but yes, I, I have a child and I, I still like to, uh, do work for um, personal reasons. <laughs> right,
0: right, right. Um, uh, what about what about kind of numbers? I mean, do you see that you have um, you know in like in other industries that men drastically outnumber women, and just as far as pure numbers and not necessarily not necessarily demeanor, but 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 numbers in the, in the industry.
2: It, it is definitely still the case that yeah. there are many more men than there are women, um, and I, I like to say to people that. Um, it's very optimistic because that seems to be changing, right? Um, right. there definitely are more women in our industry every year., um, and also, it's important to say that the women that we do have in our industry are, Pretty awesome,
0: right? 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 Yeah. I mean, we have a really vibrant community here of of uh, women behind the scenes, women who are more uh, in the spotlight, sommeliers, and a lot of folks who do events. and I and I think that I see the industry really changing from you know that image of uh, you know, the stuffy sommelier in a suit with the taste of Anne and, um, and all the you know, the pomp and circumstance around it, uh, I think that Austin is doing a good job. And, and we see winemakers. We're encountering more and more female winemakers that are really, really pushing the bar. Um, do you kind of, uh, are, very, are, are you all very conscious of that? I mean, is it, when you see that happening, is it like, okay, great, I want to support this?
1: Well, we want to support anybody who makes good wine. Right, so, right. And, and if it's, it's a woman, even more exciting. Um, I can tell you when you go to France, Italy, and the other old world countries that you're going to see these third, fourth, fifth generation winemakers, and the family doesn't care if it's male or female, and you will see it flipping back and forth between generations. And it's all about, for them, it's all about the land. And I... Sort of. That's kind of my approach to wine. It's about the wine, and right. let's get the right people involved.
0: Right, right, right. Um, I always, I always find uh, that the champagne industry uh, is is, is a, a pretty interesting um, because a lot of the leaders of the champagne industry were women throughout throughout the ages. Right. Although I, I'm seeing some frowns there, not necessarily.
1: <laughs> I, I'm only laughing because my direct experience has been with couples, husband and wives, who do everything. So, yeah. Very small.
0: Okay, well, well, great. Let's um, let's roll into uh, talking about something that I think everybody is super hot on. There's a lot of rosé events going on uh, in Austin, um, and there's there's uh, a lot of the 2015 rosés that are making their way into the market, which is always kind of a fun time. Uh, it just matches up, you know, the warmer weather, and of course we've been having warmer weather for a few months now. But uh, but we're starting to see. Uh, um, do y'all you, you still see 15s trickling in, or do you think that we're, we're pretty much all here? They're all here, They're except here. maybe okay. a few. A yeah. handful
2: of producers who like to wait and release them in June. Yeah. Rosie's season for Barbie and I is a little bit like tax season for accountants. <laughs>
0: We we work hard, right? And, and we should say that um, you know uh, Jackie and Barbie work for a, a small importer and distributor called uh, Dionysus, and uh, and then you distribute the Rosenthal. Portfolio, which is a really, really excellent rosé portfolio. Um, Lonison, you do events and education. Do you do more rosé events or, or around this time?
3: Well, I do. I do events all the time, so sure. it's not necessarily around rosés okay. because it's rosé season. When I produce my events, rosé is year-round. Yeah, first of all, for me, so I don't ever lose the opportunity of having that as a tasting so okay, they great. will get rosé with me no matter when
0: okay great so, here you go. well well I, I still feel that rosé is is largely uh misunderstood um and and i don't know if you agree but what's kind of one of the one of the take-home points that uh that you being really ingrained in the industry want folks to kind of know about rosé well yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah.
1: I, I have such huge passion for sure. rosé, and and we were talking about how it arrives, like tax season, right. but it is all year long, like LaSan said, and one of my favorite things, if I am at an event, at a rosé event, and we'll see, and I'm sorry, I'm going back to gender here, yeah. a lot of the men will go, I'm only here because my wife or girlfriend drugged me, and I don't want to taste the pink sweet stuff,
0: Right, right. and I,
1: <laughs> I say, well, that makes me very excited, because it's not sweet, and right. it's not stuff. Taste it. You don't like it. Toss it. Throw it away. And right. then these people keep coming back and so, and enjoying the dry rosé. Right.
0: Okay. So we're talking dry rosé. Do you do you feel like um, the 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 brain uh, of people who are convinced is is, is so strong? You know the, that that um, suggested flavor is so strong that even though they taste uh, somebody who might have a preconceived notion of dry rosé, even though they taste a dry rosé, they still say, "Oh, it's it's sweet." Do you, do you encounter that?
2: I, I don't That's, that's wines across the board, I think, that yeah. if people have a perception yeah. of fruit, they're often gonna see it as sweetness when when in fact it's not, right? Right. there is no sweetness.
3: I'm right there with you, Jackie, it's true. Yeah. I wanna believe Barbie, but the truth of the matter is so many people are just, they have they have it in their heads, that's how it is and that's how it is. Right. What I tend to do as an educator by trade, I'm always asking them to taste it for me. So let's try this one more time. Right. And I'll ask them, where, they, where do they detect the sweetness? And so then we can decipher, is it sweet or is it fruity? Right. Because right. once they understand the difference, like, oh, okay, so maybe it's not sweet, but I'm getting fruits. I'm like, fair enough. right? But I want them to understand that. So they walk away with at least some understanding that that rosé wasn't really sweet. That red wine wasn't sweet. It might have been fruity, but not sweet.
0: Interesting. Have, have you ever tried um, uh, maybe pinching somebody's no- or having them pinch their nose so that they don't necessarily <laughs> smell right all of the fruit? Fruit aromas and flavors are 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 perceived in the nose, and then it's that acidity. And if there is sweetness, it would be perceived on the tongue, right? Correct. Um, but uh, okay, wonderful. So so, uh, and not all rosés are really fruity as well. So maybe let's talk about um, you know how rosé is made in the French style, and then we can kind of roll this into uh, you know different styles of rosé. Anyone want to? Well- yeah.
1: Rosé is really, should only be made two ways. Okay. One is you press the the, the red grapes, whatever they are. Start with know. red grapes. Start with the red grapes, because all juice on the inside is clear. Right. And all the color from rosé and red wines come from the skins. skins. So with rosé, you crush and you get some color from the skins by letting the juice contact with the skins for rosé, just a few hours, maybe a day for red wine. It would be much longer. Um, or you can, when you put all the wine together, there is a certain amount that kind of comes out the bottom, the bleeding method, the sanier, Right. as right. it's called in the French. Yeah. And that's um, another way that you can have it. Okay. Um, those are the two ways. There is no such thing as rosé created from red wine and white wine blended together. That's wrong. Right. <laughs> <laughs> just just, just. And it's illegal to, in France. It's right, Very. That,
0: right. 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 Um, so okay, so let's dig into that. I, I love that that concept of you know they they harvest the grapes specifically for rosé production, right? Uh, and that's what they do. And and there's regions where there's only rosé allowed to be made. Um, Tavel, yeah. So Tavel is is that that kind of iconic region in the Rhone Valley. You want to tell us a little bit more about Tavel? <laughs> no, you can't. I mean, <laughs> they they
2: only make rosé there. It's right. So the, the only French AOC that. That is solely
0: rosé, is that correct? Rosé de Risse in South uh, Champagne. Oh, cool. But, um, but uh, I think, I think, and I think that those are the only two. We might get, if you know of another one. I think you know you're of right.
3: It, no, I think it's just two. Two,
0: rosé de Risse uh, and, and Tavel are, are exclusively rosé uh, made. And so what does that tell the consumer? That tells the, the consumer that rosé is not a byproduct, Right. Correct. Yeah.
3: It's a focus, right? It's yeah. just like when you go to Bordeaux, you have a blend. You expect that focus to be what that blend represents. Same with rosé AOCs.
0: Right. So what are some of, um, you know, what are some of your favorite, uh, and we can kind of go around you, some of the favorite regions for rosé, and what what's kind of the most famous and what you kind of really dig on? Barbie, you want to start us off?
1: Well, I, I love rosé, and um, <laughs> to be honest with you, there is... There's beautiful Italian rosés and Loire rosés from, from France, just right. near Paris. and um, But the biggest rosé producer in the entire country of France, and the reason I keep coming back to France is because that's where rosé originated.
4: Right. When
1: the Greeks came over to Marseille in the southern part of France and planted the vines, the first wine that was ever made was rosé. About twenty six hundred years ago. So.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> so they have a little history. In
4: they producing have a little it. history.
1: Yeah. They produce thirty five percent of all the rosé in the country of France in wow. Provence, and so it's there are places in Provence where the producer that's all they do right. is rosé. So that it, you're right is very focused and very studied. It's not some byproduct. It is carefully considered.
0: Right. And and do you notice? Um, is there a particular style in those? So, so when we talk about rosé from Provence, are we meaning this really dry style? I mean, for folks out there who know that they like, uh, you know, they've had pink wine and they've liked it, but they want a little bit more direction as far as where to go um, is, uh, what is that style of Provence rosé, bone dry? And and how does it uh, how does it uh, uh, measure up on the fruitness fruity scale? So, uh, do you get more of a fruity component? I mean, aside from the the actual sugar,
2: very what? little generally. Not not big on the fruit, big on the acid. Um, a lot of times, will be well structured, um, like surprisingly well structured, and uh, very food focused wines. Right in general.
0: And very pale, so very pale in color. Pale salmon color. Um, yeah.
2: Partridge eye sometimes, which is an
1: even paler color. <laughs> <laughs> but you just said something that's really interesting. Rosé with food. It's yeah. crazy. It goes great with food. Right. You know, and there's so many different styles of rosé. We were just getting into that, that you can see rosés that are darker, that are, you know, depending on what grape they're made from, you make them from Malbec. Right. And they'll be, can be much darker. Yeah, and and meatier and more savory versus the ones from Grenache, which are fruitier.
0: Right. I, I had a um, on the show here a, a, a few months ago a Caux producer, and uh, and so that that region is um, you know <laughs> everybody's throwing their hairs, uh, hands up in the air saying, "Wow, that's awesome!" Caux uh, is that little region in south southwest of France that uh, grows Malbec, uh, and Malbec there is so dark and structured that it's really hard to make a light and pale uh rosé from from that from that style. So w- so when you think of darker and a little bit more body in the rosé, where where does that where does that throw you in terms of food? Where does that put you?
3: Barbecue. <laughs> barbecue, <laughs> yeah, barbecue right <laughs> on. Absolutely. <laughs> and for vegetarian, cheese is always good, hard cheese. Hard. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm a vegetarian, so I'm always going to think of what that will pair with more so than meats. Okay, yeah. So as know. a
0: vegetarian, do you find almost more uses for rosé than than uh, than maybe um, you know somebody else who?
3: Not necessarily though. But if I'm looking for a heartier rosé, I'm going to think of more Spain rosados versus rosé that's a little lighter. Rosés are intended to be lighter in general, even if they have structure. They're meant to be more uh, pleasant on the palate, more inviting, not so much contemplation on the mind. So they're designed to be lighter in general, right? Even if they're structured. So risottos are gonna give you a lot more of that structure, less of that fruit, because they're usually Cab Sauvignon, so you get a lot of structure. Okay. Um, But nonetheless, it's still gonna be lifting. You're gonna have the vibrancy, because they're not meant to be saturated in all of its skin.
0: Right, okay, cool. So that structure, so you'll pair pair that structure with- uh, with with, Harder cheese, stuffed mushrooms,
3: like anything hearty
0: yum something that has like a little bit more um umami that yes, more of that creaminess yes, exactly yeah, yeah.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: What, what barbie what are your favorite um pairings there and, and what kind of style do you like
1: well i've got to say one of my favorites is the bandol rosé which is just really big for okay. rosé yeah, right
0: right <laughs> so Bandol, we should say for folks out there who don't know that's a sub-region of provence right tell us a little bit about the region sure.
1: Yeah, it's it's right down near the Mediterranean, and so you, it's part of the path that the Knights Templars used to go through, and so you'll see some influences from that. There's some very old, old plantings down there, right. and that makes for making hardier wines cool but uh, yeah that particular wine uh, most of the bandoles just can stand up to almost anything <laughs> right right
0: right oh, and Jackie what, you were telling me uh, off air about this tremendous rose pairing that you had uh, you had just experienced last night was it
2: right um, <laughs> my my husband Ryan made some crab cakes from scratch with uh, you know fresh herbs from the garden um, and paired that with a caprese salad. Um, and both of those together, especially with the basil and the, and the fresh produce, I mean, that was just a match made in heaven for some rosé, which was from Texas this time.
0: All right. Awesome. Uh, I'm way behind here, folks. We've got to take a short break and hear from uh, some station announcements. Um, I'm really enjoying this conversation. The rosé talk is making my mouth um, just uh, salivate. And so (laughs) we're going to take a short break, listen to some uh, announcements, and we'll be back right after this. Support for KOOP comes from RK Audiology, offering hearing services for the Austin community. RK Audiology offers preparation for the Austin Music Festivals with custom earplugs for musicians and music lovers, as well as earmuffs for infants and children. Hundreds of bands, only two ears. Located at 2003 South Lamar, Suite 4. More information at EarLoveAustin.com. All right, guys, we are back on air. Boy, this Rosé talk has gotten everybody just all all riled up so uh, my name is Mark Ra if you're just tuning in this is co-op radio KOOP, Hornsby Austin 91.7 FM and koop. Uh I'm here live in the studio with Lasan Georgeson Barbie Schaus and Jackie Grinelli okay we're, we're talking Rose we are um, talking about food pairings we're talking about different styles um, you know Barbie you you had uh, you, you put it out there and now I have to ask you what your favorite Rose is. <laughs> so you're well, so passionate and uh, there's a lot that you love um you know give us give us a few and and tell us a story
1: well I mean there's you are putting me on the spot there are so many that I love um they're you know double digits up and towards the 50s of rosés and um you know Jackie was just talking about having a Texas rosé last night and I gotta tell you if I can talk about that rosé is beautiful it's you know it's I forget it's grenache and do you remember
2: all the blend on it can we So start? that
0: yeah we can say the name uh, it was ducman right Yeah
2: uh, yesterday I was drinking yesterday the, uh, Dukeman with uh, made from montepulciano
0: Montepulciano was the grape mm-hmm. so so you know here's the take home here of um, you know that you can really make rosé um, anywhere that there are red grapes that are grown um, how well, so so let me, I was cutting you off there, so why don't you uh, go on talking I w- about... Yeah. I was
1: doing a little sidestep, and you were letting me do it, so... <laughs> I mean, there, there's there's some beautiful roses, and I've got to say, in the Côte d'Ironne, the southern Côte Rhone which, you know, Provence kind of bleeds into that area. Right, kind of part of the same tradition. Yeah, there there's one from a producer um, from 45-year-old vines, uh, Domaine de Marchand, yeah. that, um that is 60 Grenache and 40 Syrah, and I was lucky enough to be there in 2009 with the Syrah Harvest, so I oh, drank as much of that as I could get my hands on because I felt, you know... Part right, of it, right? But I still—it's one of my all-time favorites. Well,
0: if Walter ever comes uh, back into Austin, we got to get him on the air here because he's Absolutely. a huge advocate of Grenache and uh, has really old vines and a really interesting international perspective. He's—I um, think he's the president of the Grenache Association or Advocates Association he's or something like that. Very,
1: very involved in in hoping one day people will walk into a bar and order a glass of Grenache. Right. <laughs>
0: yeah. So, um, okay, well, something that you had said made me think that we, ne- we do need to kind of cover some of the major red grapes that are used to make rosé. So, you know, we, we can make rosé out of almost any red grape. Um, what are some of the most common? Jackie, you want to you wanna talk about this?
2: Yeah. um, Aside from Grenache, which is probably the most common that uh, rosé is made from in France, um, you can also see um, in parts of France like the Loire Valley, you could see Rosé is made from Pinot Noir, right? um, or even Cabernet Franc.
0: So I always see that folks, um, they go to Paris and they have rosé in Paris, and it's often Sancerre rosé, rosé of Sancerre, because it's kind of so close. Uh, And those are a little bit more uncommon here, but that's rosé out of Pinot Noir. And you Uh, see
2: a lot of those from California as well, especially lately.
0: Yeah, um, cool. And then, um, so, so that we have in the Loire, we have Gamay, Rose, and Pinot Noir. Where, where else do we see? I mean, what, what were the main grapes in Provence that we've. That you're
1: going to mainly see Grenache in right. Provence, but you're yeah. going to see a lot of blending grapes, including Roll, which is a white grape with small percentage. But okay. that's yeah. rare, very rare, but right. you will. And then see we that. have
0: some Cinso and. Syrah Cinso, Syrah Carignan. Carignan. So all of these make up this culture. And and what are we seeing? Uh, I'm seeing that a lot of those same grapes are really doing well in Texas, right? So do you all think that we have, you know, Jackie, you had last night a, a Texas rosé. Do you all think that Texas is a really prospective place for rosé?
1: Big time. Yeah. It's hot. It's grow the hot weather grapes. Look at that dandy rosé, that beautiful rosé from... From Ray. From Ray Wilson. But right. I was trying to decide if that was called... Uh, you know what city it's from. If it's Johnson City, is it I called Johnson City?
2: It's uh, Senso and Morvedra.
0: Senso and Morvedra. Yeah. Yeah. And it's delightful. Which are the typical um, those typical Provence uh, and Mediterranean grape varieties? Cool. Um, well, well. Um, do do you have anything any other notes for folks out there who are who are kind of really into rose and they want to go? Is there any room for sweetness? In, in
1: rosé? I don't think so, but then I'm very partial about sweetness. Okay, so
0: you're very particular. It
1: can be fruity on the nose, but it should be dry on the palate. And when you blend those two together, you'll feel like you might get some sweetness, some lightness. Okay. Um, for me, I think rosé is a, you know, well, of course I love the rosé, but it's very important for those people who are like, I'm a red wine drinker. I'm not going to drink white. I'm not going to drink rosé. But it hits summer, hot, hot summer. Are you going to drink heavy reds? Right. Try drinking some rosé because it really is, you know, white wine for red wine drinkers. Right. Sure. If you want to go down that road.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Jackie, do you think, uh, is there any room for some sweetness in rosé?
2: Yeah. I have a soft spot for sweet wines. Um, It's certainly not something I drink every day, but... I've had some rosés with some residual sugar that I thought were just stellar.
0: Right, right. And so, yeah, what do you think? I would agree
2: with you, Jackie. And I'm not a sweet wine drinker at all unless
3: it's intended to be sweet. But there are certain rosés like an Italian Spumante comes to mind to me that's fantastic. It has a hint of residual sugar and it is a use of a white grape for blending. It is fantastically muscular but elegant. It's delightful. Right. So there's a chance for sweetness.
0: I just had a a Zweigelt rosé from Austria that has just a hair of residual sugar. And it just, um, you know, it's a totally different experience from your Provence yeah. rosés, absolutely. And uh, it might just, you know, for some people, it might not even give the perception of sweetness. It just might pop that fruit a little bit more. And whenever I have something like that, I think, and I don't know if you agree, just a little bit of spiciness in the food, you know, some Mexican food with a little thai bit of the food. Th- Thai food. Right, Yeah. I, I want uh, let, to let's talk about um, you know we have just about uh, ten minutes left. I, I want to talk about um, you know serving temperatures and and do you always uh, drink rosé you know really really chilled um, or or is there kind of a spectrum there?
1: There is a spectrum, but I always start with it cold and I let it change to let it warm up slowly. And if it works as I'm pouring more glasses, great. If not, I put it back in the cooler or the
3: refrigerator and keep it colder.
0: Okay, yeah. what do you think? Oh,
3: um I'm in agreement with you. That's how I serve. Personally, I prefer it to be slightly chilled, not overly chilled. okay.
0: so what what's the concept there? what What happens when it's when it's too chilled?
3: So when I find what I find when it's too chilled, the flavors retreat as does the the nose, the aromas. So it's going to set back a little because like anything if you get really cold, you start to re- resist right. And beverages are the same. So I like it to have just a hint of chill to bring out that excitement of right. the grape but not to freeze it to death and you forgot what it smelled like right you certainly can't taste i it
0: like that well. i like that metaphor of you know retreating as a person when you're too well, cold don't we do that yeah, when we're too I cold know. we kind of like we f- need a warm bath <laughs> the wine right? puts on a sweater yeah. i
2: know it, it does it. exactly
4: right
0: on <laughs> jackie what do you what do you think um are, are there situations where you might serve rose more like room temperature
2: uh, probably not Texas room temperature, okay. uh, <laughs> but a, a little bit on the warmer side than refrigerator temperature for sure. Right. Which, um, you know, if you've got ice chips floating in your rose, it's too cold. Right, right. <laughs> That's called the slushy. Yeah. Slushy. Yeah.
0: Cool. Well, um well uh thank you so much for being here. I've got I've got one kind of final uh, discussion about this and I think uh this time of year we're seeing like like I had said before, we're seeing the twenty fifteens coming into the market. Uh folks might still be seeing some 2014s and 2013s um, do you absolutely always 100% of the time want to uh, d- d- taste the the most recent uh, how no, do how do these I wines agree. age yeah
2: 95 percent of the time yes sure. okay yeah with I'd say with most roses fresher is better but there are a percentage that get better. I agree,
3: actually. I'm sorry I want to say this, because if we think about the grape that's being used for the rosé, for one, that will tell you how far along you can stretch that rosé. If we have something lighter as a grape, it's probably doesn't have much to give after a couple years, okay. but you've got a massive Cab Sauvignon, even a Malbec. Those rosés will be surprisingly delicious still. It just right. has a little more character.
0: How, how do they change flavor-wise? I mean, do they uh, do they show a pattern, all, all rosés? I mean, as far as evolution goes and how the flavors will change uh, maybe into the 2014s yep. and 2013s?
3: I do want to talk about this, only because I'm kind of the geek that loves to experiment with uh, different vintages. Right. And the reality is, again, based on the grape, based on the season that it was grown in, was it right on for it or not? It's going to make a big difference if you let that grape sit for that wine sit for a couple years years okay so you just have to think about the grape you're using if it's something like a senso that's not designed to be aged you've got that three years old you probably don't want to drink that. It's not going to taste as well it's going to lose all of its fruit notes yeah. it'll have a little more rusticity to it yeah so it won't be as darling as it might have been the three years ago but if it's at your house don't throw it away before don't. you taste it <laughs> <laughs> fair enough use it to cook if
0: yeah what, um and so well barbie you mentioned you know bandol oftentimes those wines um Oftentimes those wines are, uh, you know, age worthy for uh, you know yeah. two three years. Do you think that sometimes Bandol shows even better after two three years, three four years? Or, or you're you're the purist that that really um, that really fresh style?
1: No, actually there are that is one of the exceptions, and then there is the Chateau Simone uh, Palette Rosé that. They release it a year later.
0: So tell us about that. That's a little bit of a, um, a, a Palette is a very obscure region, we could say. <laughs> very. <good>. I think. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> Where, can you tell object. us about pa- Palette a little bit? Yeah, it,
1: it is um, it, it is very unique, very difficult to find rosé. Okay. Um, it When you visit there, they have 20 and 30-year-old rosés that are still drinking wonderfully. Right. But you can't find those, of course, in the market. You can sure. only find two or three-year-olds. So. but
0: but they they they're so they're insistent that they're Rose's age so that so they um, so they actually hold it back a year uh, in in order to to show that character, right Yeah, yeah, that
2: that's their plan <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: And it is this brilliant fuchsia color i have no idea how they do that with the grenache rosé as well
0: so grenache dominant okay so um that's really cool do you, uh, so we've got maybe uh, just a few minutes left to maybe share a, a wonderful story that you've had recently with with rosé I'll, I'll start you off um so that you can I'll <laughs> give you time to us. think uh <laughs> I had I, I was in Spain. It, it wasn't this past time, but it, a couple years ago, and um, I was meeting with a winemaker in uh, the Ribera del Duero, and he uh, he was maybe 45, 50. And uh, we were we were in his cellar. We were having, like, these lamb chops and drinking th- his really bold reds from Tempranillo. And th- they're really, you know, rich and tannic and very age-worthy there. And, you know, we, we were just getting excited about his wines. And it was such a uh, perfect situation. And so then we go into his cellar, and he dusts off this bottle, and he's like, <clears throat> you, you guys want to taste a rosé that I made when I was 15? <laughs> so... <laughs> He was, making, he was making wine when he was 15 years old, and this was a, a rosé that he made, um, and he still had some bottles of it. And so, you know, it was 35-year-old uh, rosé, and we popped it, and it was still fresh and lively. at I moon. Mean, it was incredible.
3: No surprise, Tempranillo. Big, yeah, so big, big, big. That goes to
0: your, 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 your um, assertion that the bigger the body, the longer it can go, right? Yeah. Wonderful. Do you guys have anything to share? (laughs) Well, my story
3: is not as great as yours, Mark. I I fell in love with a rosé in Italy. It's a spumante, and it was fantastic. It had a hint of sweetness. It's a demi-sec. And I love the fact that it had this masculine element to it with a smooth, sort of lengthy, elegant finish. It was delightful. And I'm a non-sweet wine drinker. I liked it so much I wrote about it. So I fell in love with that
2: rosé.
0: Very cool, yeah.
2: I had a um, an Oregon producer with me last week um, from the Trisetum Winery in Oregon, uh, terrific Willamette Valley rosé that they make. Right. Um, and I was like, "What is this? What is this tasting note I'm getting from this? Like, this is this is really delicious and interesting, but I don't know what it is." And I finally decided it was it was hazelnut. It tasted like hazelnut, which I'm not normally that surprised by uh, flavors in mm-hmm. wine, and and so I mentioned it to the uh, the rep who was with me from the winery, and he said, well, well, you know, um, that vineyard used to be a hazelnut farm.
0: Wow. And it
2: could be a coincidence.
0: Wow, so that wine just really, really did express the land that it was from. Apparently. Yeah, that's amazing. Barb, you want to top us off here?
2: Well,
1: um, I've had so many rosés over the years, but several years back, um, a producer in Provence accidentally sent Five Methuselahs to the United States. What's a a (laughs) rose? Six liter? (laughs) Okay. So they accidentally sent five. A big, big bottle. That's a big mistake. (laughs) Huge. Well, I didn't know it at the time. It was a mistake. I'm like, oh, this is how it's always going to be. We'll always have Methuselah. Three of them came and were sold in Austin. So if that doesn't tell everybody that this is a huge rose city and area right i mean it it, it was so much, of course it was always a party every time you open one of those it takes two people to hold the bottle to pour but. right
0: <laughs> now this statistic might be a little bit old but i did um i heard from a pretty reliable source uh, that rosé, uh, Austin consumes more rosé than both Houston and Dallas, despite, you know, the, the, the population being so much smaller.
1: It It's true, yeah, but so they are starting to catch up in those other cities, which up. is, you know, hurry, buy your rosé before they get it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, folks, so um, thank you so much, uh, Lasan Georgeson, Um, and, uh, and Barbie Shows and Jackie Grinelli, um, information again on women for wine sense and the next event, uh, Jackie, can you give us that Facebook website again?
2: Sure. That's, uh, next events, June 20th. That's going to be facebook.com slash Austin women wine sense.
0: And so um, we're going to take a sh- one last short break and we're going to be back and uh, we all will be um, hearing from uh, Craig Collins, Master Sommelier, an interview that I did with him uh, just a few minutes because they just opened up their Irene's, um, their, their new concept there. So uh, we'll hear from some underwriting announcements and we'll be right back. Support comes from the Austin Chronicle, celebrating the First Plates food issues, featuring top restaurants that define Austin dining now. Throughout the month of May, you can enjoy dining at past and present First Plate winners and take a bite of Austin's food scene. Details at austinchronicle.com slash firstplatesmonth. Okay, thank you so much for being with us. We've had a wonderful time with the, um, with the, with the, with the panelists of from Women for Wine Sense. Um, I just wanted to, we've got about two minutes left, I wanted to play a short clip of an interview that I did with uh, Craig Collins, who is Master Sommelier and Beverage Director at the, um, at the Elm Restaurant Group, because they uh, just opened their Irene's, which is uh, that kind of home-down concept. Uh, so I'll let Craig tell you a little bit about it. Can you uh, introduce us to Irene's? Yeah, area? I'm
4: very excited about Irene's as well. Um, Irene's is named after one of our grandmothers. Um, she was a boozer, a smoker, a gambler, but just overall exuded amazing hospitality. The type of the type of grandmother that you'd show up at her house at 4 o'clock and you know you're going to have one too many drinks and probably wake up on the couch, but when you woke up, there was... A cup of coffee and a shot of Jameson, sitting there ready for you. <laughs> um, so really, she's been our muse for it, and we're excited to give Austin that that kind of experience. That a little bit low down, and uh, just come in and have a good time, and know that you're going to be well taken care of.
0: And and so we've seen that uh, Irene's is um, it's been pushed back a little bit uh, from uh, on a few different occasions, but we're we're pretty confident in it it uh, coming online
4: pretty soon pretty soon is a really good estimate on that (laughs) okay
0: (laughs) well i uh, so this is i I really all right we're just about time i just wanted to get that little clip in there uh with craig collins the elm restaurant group uh just opened up their um new restaurant called irene's um we're here with michaela in the studio michaela what, what do you got going on oh
2: well mark you know this is my last show because i'm going off to college pretty soon um but joining me today is greg gonzalez of the grammy award-winning austin group grupo fantasma who you'll get to hear in just a moment we're going to talk about uh, the bands working with prince uh, their new album and so much more so, well, that sounds sentenced.
0: that sounds a wonderful. Stay tuned for uh, what's your status. Well, uh, that does us for today. Uh, my name is Mark Rayshap. This is Another Bottle Down. Uh, it's Co-op Radio, radio for people and not for profit. Uh, enjoy the gloomy weather and uh, and have some fun with rosés. I hope you enjoyed that interview. Um, to podcast it, uh, go to koop.org dot slash Another Bottle Down. All right, Michaela, take it away.